Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, the founder of Future Women, a club to connect, learn and lead. In this series, we bring you some of the most thought-provoking speakers from our live events. In this episode, our incredible speaker tackles courage and the important skill of resilience. Tech leader Jamila Gordon is the CEO and founder of LumaChain, a SaaS platform that tracks individual items in real time. Jamila was born in Somalia and fled the civil war in Africa with an Australian backpacker who she later married. She went on to build an incredible global technology career. Here's Jamila. My father used to say, Jamila Gabada Nasib Nasibadan, which means the lucky, lucky girl. And as I stand here today, there's no doubt I've been really blessed in my life. I was born in Somalia near the border with Ethiopia. My mother had 16 children. (laughs) I was the second oldest and the oldest daughter. And as a result of that, I was expected to help her. The night I was born, I was told my family was roaming around in that area looking for rain. And literally they were. It looked like that. They take all their belongings with uh, donkeys and camels, if they're lucky, and they roam around, look for water. Um, And that night, it started raining. And hence why my dad called me the lucky, lucky girl. Rain meant a lot (laughs) to them. It meant a life. And that village, it became, a, we, we stayed that place and it became a village for the next 11 years. Some person um, was um, walking through uh, the village, um, passing through the village, and they left a book. And my parents and uh, all the other parents who were not educated said, a book, we better teach our children how to read and write. Um, that book was the Quran. We were not particularly Muslim, but there was a book. Um, and uh, everyone had to, uh, the, the process was for people to graduate, they had to know the book by heart, the entire um, book. It was 114 chapters. Um, and um, I did that, the entire book. I memorized it by heart. And you go in front of the whole school, and the teacher sits up um, that mat and everyone listens to you, and then when you graduate, you take your twig, and you break it in someone's head to, <laughs> to wish them good luck, and I did that to my older brother, <laughs> who I graduated before him. Um, when I was about 11, our village had a really bad drought, um, and, um, and I remember my dad saying, um, I need to take my children out of, this, uh, out of this place, otherwise they will be all um, they will be all, um, they could all die. So he insisted we have to go to Mogadishu. But what I remember was, he was really amazing guy. I have no idea where he got his ideas from. But whenever we had drought, he will trick us. And um, he will say, the reason we're having this drought, there's something amazing behind it, something fabulous. We're going to have so much food. It's going to rain a lot. So he will give us a lot of hope. Uh, and try to get us to dream big that the next season is going to be great. Um, and that has been a corner, uh, something that I followed all throughout my life. Now, we moved to Mogadishu. Mogadishu was fun. It had colors. 
it had trees, it had everything, and girls were allowed to go to school, which was even more amazing. Only but in the afternoon when everyone, men and the boys, are under shades to sleep. Now, in the village, we didn't have tribes or clans or any of that hierarchical or processes. It was a small family related to each other, and there was no issue. Um, but I remember in Mogadishu, the three ladies uh, who were meant to be our clan walking to our house. And um, I said hello to them, but they were seemed very angry for whatever reason. And uh, I thought, but they came to see my mother. And, they, and I decided to wait, uh, listen outside, just where they were. And um, the elderly women started and said, um, you know, I know you come from the village, uh, a village, and uh, you don't understand how to behave in uh, big, the, the, the big town. Um, but there's uh, processes and systems, and uh, she, they didn't say that, but something similar to that. And you're not following. Uh, and my mother said, well, give me an example. And she says, well, for example, your husband. He's entitled to four wives, but he's only got one, you. <laughs> and then um, another one started, and she said, and um, your daughter, Jamila, she's 13, and she's still unmarried. And uh, you know sometimes how you're not conscious about things? I knew girls got married young, but I wasn't conscious about it. It wasn't even, I wasn't thinking about it. And I felt huge pain in my heart, because in the village, I saw a lot of young girls married off. And the first childbirth, they all died. They were too young. They were too small. And then this other woman said, oh, and the reason she's not married and she, is because she's short, black, and scrawny. And I'm a bit upset, as thinking, my mother is not defending me. She needs to do something about And then at that moment, an idea came to me, and I thought, oh my god, short, black, and scrawny has saved my life. <laughs> so from there on, I used to sunbathe and get black, black, black. So no one wanted to marry me. <laughs> um, and um, so my life was absolutely perfect in Mogadishu. We had, I was unmarriable. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. Um, and I was going to school. Uh, my mother was pregnant every year. So I was helping her, I had a full-time job. <laughs> and my dad opened up a, a, a shop, a, a little shop. It wasn't much of a shop. He will, Buy, uh, he would go to neighboring countries and buy uh, sacks of coffee, tea, um, tea leaves, and other dry goods, rice and all of that. And he will sell them in jags, and I will help him. I used to be able to count. He didn't learn how to count or, or read. So I will do all the book work for him. I knew what money came in, what money go out. So I had a purpose. It was perfect. Everything I, had, I needed was done. But life doesn't leave you alone. Um, when I was about 18, Somalia was in a civil war. It was taken over by gangs. Uh, the whole country was overthrown. And it was the worst thing ever happened, could happen to a family or to. And my father, who was super smart, um, for, uh, I don't know how he knew. He, he knew it will never get better or at least he, he thought in our lifetime. Um, some people stayed back, but he didn't. He, he tried to get all of us out. So for me, 
I ended up in Kenya. I was a bit older than them. I could look after myself. I was 18. My father sent me to um, relatives uh, who we knew. And those relatives um, didn't want me. They were not bad people, but there were too many uh, refugees. Um, I remember Kenya and Somalia, you can just walk across the border. And it was, the border is huge. You can't close the border. Um, so people were coming in, um, and I was one of those. And um, my uh, relative didn't want me, so they found uh, my father's brother. My father had a lot of brothers from his dad's side uh, because his dad was a spiritual healer in the Horn of Africa, up in the north. And um, every time he healed someone, they gave him a daughter or a goat. <laughs> daughter not to adopt, but to marry. And my grandmother was one of those. A 13-year-old girl was given to him. Uh, she gave birth to my dad and ran away, as most women do in, 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 that, uh, in, in Somalia. Now, she ran away. We lost con but my, my dad didn't even know she was alive. But she ended up in Kenya, remarried, had three kids. And one of those boys was in Mombasa. So they sent me there. He wasn't much older than me. Um, he didn't have anything. Um, he was selling cigarettes at the streets of Mombasa. And he didn't really want to know me either. He had um, a young wife, and the young wife didn't want me. So she kicked me out of the house one day when he wasn't there. Um, and I sat uh, at that dusty uh, ghettos of Mombasa for hours and hours. And the only thing I could think was, um, why? What's the purpose? I had everything. Three months ago, my life was perfect. I had a name. Now, you know, when, when you, uh, something like that happens, no one knows your name. I had a name. I had a purpose. Everything. And I was sitting there for hours. And luckily, um, a young girl uh, who was about my age came to me. Um, she was the neighbor. And uh, she realized I was sitting there for a long time. And she uh, took me into their house. The mother had uh, five kids, uh, three girls and uh, two boys. And she just didn't mind me being hanging around her daughters. She realized what happened. Um, Jackie and I became really good friends. Uh, but I didn't want to abuse the friendship. So whenever there was, uh, so what I did was I found, I found where the Somali ghettos were. Um, because I could speak the language. In Kenya, it's English and Swahili, and I could speak Somali and a little bit of Arabic. So I went to the Somali ghettos, and what I did was uh, found young mothers who were like my mom, who had 16 kids, <laughs> a lot of kids who needed help. And to make myself useful, I used to do stuff for them, wash their clothes, um, cook for them, and in return, they will give me somewhere to sleep, uh, give me something. Um, and that um, went for a while. And a friend of mine said to me, don't stay at the Somali houses because the uh, Kenyan police go in middle of the night and uh, get all the illegal refugees and take you to the border. And I thought to myself, they're not taking you to the border. Who knows you? Who cares if you're alive or dead? No one. So. That was my biggest fear, the police to get you and take, pretend they're taking you to the border. They probably kill you, rape you, or even worse. Um, so I decided not to stay the houses. 
I'll do cleaning, everything, but stay with my Kenyan friends. One night, one afternoon was very late. It got dark quickly and it was raining and um, I stayed this house. And it's amazing how sometimes when you face your biggest fear, it's not actually that bad. My biggest fear was the police middle of the night coming and guess what? That night they came. And I watched them and they grouped us into three groups. The children, the women and the men. And because I was so short, I'm not that short, but compared to the Somali girls who were tall, uh, and scrawny, I was 37 kilos. They put me with the kids. <laughs> I was, it was just so amazing. And they said, okay, kids, go to bed. And I stayed quiet to watch them. Um, they were not bad people. They were asking papers and stuff, and they, you know, and, and my biggest fear was these people will snatch you and just throw you in the back of a track and take you away. And it wasn't like that. And I learned sometimes it's really, it's not bad to go through your biggest fears. It really wakes you up and say it's not actually that bad. Or even yourself, imagine it and go through it in your head and say, well, actually, it's not that bad if that happens. Jamila's life has been courageous. She has overcome more setbacks than many of us could ever imagine. But she believes resilience is like a muscle that can be developed over time. And the way it's developed is by consciously putting yourself in situations that can stretch you. One of the other lessons from Jamila's life is her belief in people and that they are inherently good. And that allowed her to reach out and ask for help. Jamila believes a strong work ethic and thinking big is central to creating the life you want. Here's Jamila. Jackie was my oldest friend, the girl who was the neighbour. Um, the other girls uh, were her friends and we became a small group and we discovered nightclubs. <laughs> so I was uh, trying to be a normal girl. In the nightclubs, Wednesdays was for free for girls. So I went, we went to Wednesday nights. And one, one evening, um, a guy walked in. This guy was tall, white, blonde hair. I didn't notice any of that. Remember we're in Kenya. Everyone is dark. I didn't notice. What I noticed the most was he had clean clothes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, he looks like he doesn't have a woman, so I'm not going to be the second wife or third wife. <laughs> but I'm going to uh, try to be with him. So I became a leech to him <laughs> the whole night. Um, but Jackie and the girls, they didn't care about that. For me, it was survival. For them, it was fun. But deep down, I, just, I, I wanted to survive. Um, so I stayed with him, and he kept on sneaking me from one youth hostel to another. He was an Australian backpacker. So <laughs> he thought he got lucky. <laughs> but very quickly he realized I was harmless. He gave me some of his clothes. We traveled together. The guy was amazing. He came back. He said, I'll get you out. Don't worry. He sent me, um, he used to call me at Jackie's house. And he sent me some money. And he said, Bank account. We need bank account. I didn't know what bank account was. Jackie said, my dad's got a bank account. Um, so he sent the money for a ticket to her ba dad's bank account. Now that dad 
doesn't know me, except I'm a friend of his daughter. They were poor themselves as well. He could have taken that money if he wanted to. It's just amazing how many good people are just, their cause good. He just got to the bank, counted all that money and gave it to me and told Jackie to take me to the embassy, Australian embassy. So we got to the Australian embassy and the guy there said, uh, had a form and he said, tell her to write all her brothers and sisters in case she wants to sponsor them in the future. And I got really excited. Uh, in Somalia, you have each person have got five names. <laughs> five names because they have to trace you back to your uh, tribe. And I was Jamila Abdi Rizar Sheikh Noor. You can imagine in Australia, I had to ditch it fast. <laughs> I'm like, ah, people couldn't say my name. It was so long. So anyway, in Kenya, I'm writing the five names with 16 kids, mom and dad. <laughs> and the guy says to Jackie, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> I just asked to write her brothers and sisters. Anyway, that moment I thought, I'm so dumb. They're probably not alive. Why am I writing their names? So in a weird way, anger took over my body and I was scrubbing it, the paper, like the point of tearing it. And the, the guy said to Jack, what is she doing? She says that she thinks they're all dead. So it's a waste of time writing their names down. And he walked away and I think he cried a bit and came back with red, red eyes. And he says, Dal, we'll get you out, don't worry. I'm like, it's like the planets um, or the stars had to all line up for this to happen. There's no other reason I can explain it. And guess where I was a week later? I was in Sydney. <laughs> it was the best thing ever happened to me. So in Sydney, um, I wanted to learn English. I wanted to speak to people and uh, I wanted um, to do what I was good at, kitchen. <laughs> I found a restaurant um, and the people were really nice, so I was kitchen hand, I was washing dishes. Um, Five dollars an hour. And at the end of the night, we will, um, there were a few uh, tips and we will all share. I was over the moon happy. I thought I was sorted for life. <laughs> and then, um, the girls, one of the waitresses said, um, we're going out. There's um, um, a beautiful friend of ours who just finished the uni. I didn't know what uni was. And uh, she's got a job at the ATO. I didn't know what ATO was. And they said in an office. I'm like, oh. I was so shocked. Women can work in an office. I thought women, even like us, dressed like this. I thought they were going to wash dishes somewhere. <laughs> It didn't it click for me. There's actually other jobs they can do. Um, I was quite amazed. And I thought that whole night I stared at this girl. She must have thought I'm going to eat her. <laughs> I wanted to be exactly like her. I liked her hair, how she flipped it. And my hair, I couldn't do it if I tried. <laughs> and I stared at her. And that's when I got my dream. You, my father used to say, have big dreams. That was my big dream. I'm going to be exactly like Helen. So this time I'm a TAFE learning English. But my dream is to go to university and do other stuff. So I went to the unis. Sydney Uni, first one, I never forget. In the admission office with a lot of people helping me. Got there and I said, excuse me, I had a really strong accent. Um, I am, um, 
I went to um, um, go to university, uni, and finish accounting and then work for ATO. <laughs> and the guy said, just sit here, wait. He called a couple of other people, can you repeat? And I repeated, and someone fell off the chair. <laughs> they pissed themselves. <laughs> they said, school? I said, huh? No school. <laughs> They're like, no uni for you. Um, and so went, went there from one uni, from another, another, are all been rejected. And someone said to me, you should try La Trobe University in Victoria. And that's another thing I really, part of being resilient teaches you. When one door closes, you don't give up. Your dream is your dream. It's your passion. And you shouldn't allow other people to say, no, you, you, you don't deserve that passion. You're not gonna get it. So I wouldn't allow it, other people to tell me, no uni for you. So I kept on trying, and guess what? Someone said, La Trobe Uni was purposely built to help people from disadvantaged background, to give people who couldn't afford to go to Melbourne Uni and Monash the opportunity um, to go to university. So I went to La Trobe. I called them first, and they said, oh yeah, we have a really good program, English program in Bendigo. I didn't know where Bendigo was. <laughs> Nevertheless, I didn't care. <laughs> My passion was more important than anything else. So I went to Bendigo. Uh, they asked me to finish my TAFE, stay in TAFE. At the same time, they helped me with English. Um, I started uni, uni was perfect. Uh, it was full of young people. I felt I had another family again. It was fun. Um, and I worked at Kitchen Hand uh, four days a week, I loved my whole life. It was perfect. Uh, accounting was easy, but I had to do electives. And no one tells you when your English is not perfect to, there's a lot of English involved in uni. <laughs> um, so I kept on talking to teachers who were helpful. Some of them were not helpful. And you know what? You learn very quickly. You ask for help, and people who are not helpful, you walk away. But you don't take it personally. That's their problem. And I, you, but don't allow them to stop you being who you are. So I kept on asking help. And one teacher said, you know what? Come and try software programming. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Uh, elective was accounting, and IT was major. And I didn't have to do much English. Perfect. <laughs> now that brings me to your weakness. When you, know your, when you discover your strength, it's really easy to you. It's not easy for other people. And don't underestimate that. It's your strengths are amazing for you. you they design for you. So cherish them and do more of that. Now I finished the uni, and everyone was going back home. The Bendigo, it's a, it's a town where students come, and all of my friends were going back home, either Melbourne, somewhere, Sheberton, and then I thought, I must have a purpose. I need, to, I need to have a home. And I knew Sydney. But I lost contact with people I knew. But it, nevertheless, I came back to Sydney. You know, this was my home. <laughs> came back. Um, a friend of mine says, oh, my brother's looking for a flatmate. I became his flatmate. He um, said, have you ever worked in an office? I said, no. He says, I'm going to teach you how to interview well. OK. He said. Get all of your um, 
all of your uh, companies ready, so you can do bang, bang, bang. And I want you to imagine you're the <laughs> hot chick at the bar. <laughs> I don't, I'm like, mate, I just want a job. <laughs> like, no, 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 you have to play hard to get. <sighs> now, the amazing thing is, that took me to a path I would have never discovered. So here I was, playing hard to get, but what happened was, all those big companies who were offering me jobs because I was rejecting them, finally I found a tiny company who took me to the UK for software development. And guess what? I discovered my entire, not entire, most of my family, the ones who've gone to the UK. That's my career. I've done so much. Um, I've really, really enjoyed thoroughly. Spent uh, seven years in Europe, leaving Nice, Amsterdam, Paris. Another dream I had was to fly first class, and I became quantum CIO. <laughs> technology, head of technology, discovered you know, amazing stuff, and discovered wanting to fly if you're a staff, quantum staff. If you ever become quantum staff, travel when rich people are not traveling, like Saturday night. <laughs> There's a lot of upgrades. <laughs> um, what am I doing now? Now, talking about hard life, I've chosen another hard one. I left my perfect career, CIOs, uh, and chosen to open my own company. Um, it's basically, my, I believe the supply chains are broken, and we, what I've created is a technology that can give visibility, that end-to-end -end visibility of, of any product as it moves through. So linking the physical product, a bottle of wine, to its digital and linking that together and allowing any customer to see it in an app. Now, don't underestimate the impact each one of us can have. The smallest act can change someone's life. Now, that little girl in Dusty Village, if that guy didn't sponsor me, I wouldn't be where I am. And I'm very lucky and blessed. Thank you. And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson.